0: Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe D'Amino. On this episode, we talk with Atlanta-based scale architect, Scott Ritzheimer. He helped start nearly 20,000 new businesses and nonprofits, and with his business partners, started and led their multi-million dollar business through an exceptional and extended growth phase. He founded scale architects to help businesses across the country identify the right growth strategies and find the right guides to get them back on the fast track to predictable success and stay there for as long as Long as possible. He now travels around the country speaking with founders, CEOs, and their teams to help them not only grow, but scale their businesses and do it all without the hustle. He's got a great story. Enjoy this interview. I'm
1: doing quite, quite well. Cannot complain.
0: Good, good. Where are you located?
1: I am here in Atlanta, Georgia.
0: Okay. Atlanta, Georgia. Nice. Very nice. Uh, my stepdaughter just went down there. Uh, she went over spring break about three weeks ago and they had a good time down there
1: yeah which it's a cool city i like it
0: yeah yeah right on well hey man it's great to meet you i appreciate you taking time out and the first thing that i want to address before we get into your life and your work and what makes you who you are is covid's been quite a thing it's worked on all of us in different ways how did you survive it and how has it changed the way that you conduct business and even live your life now
1: so it's a funny story with that um Because I've got a little bit of a track record that's starting here, and it's not the right kind of track record. So uh, I have to fast forward back to our last kind of big recession time, 2007, 2008, right? And it really all hit in September 2008. Uh, and that was the same month that we uh, basically relaunched or founded the first company that I ran. Uh, I was a 21 something, something like that. And so the next six months, stock markets dropped 35, 40%. And, uh, and that was the context for us trying to start a business. Fortunately, uh, we did a couple things right. We did a lot of things wrong, but that worked out really, really well. It's a wonderful story. We could talk about that later. But uh, come, uh, you know, 2019, 2020, I'm, I'm thinking about like, what's the next uh, thing? You know, what's the next new adventure? And so January 1, I launch uh, what is now the Scale Architects Program, helping companies and uh, and leaders to scale themselves in their business. And lo and behold, the first three months, uh, COVID hits and uh, we're back in it again. So very. I'll answer your question here in a second. But the first thing is, if I ever start another business, I'll be sure to let you know. Uh, We'll short everything and we'll make a lot of money. It'll be great. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Uh, But uh, yeah, so, you know, I think uh, it's an interesting thing in my world. So much of the response to COVID was like it was just a completely new season in my life. I went from leading a company with uh, about 80 employees to being a solopreneur uh, working from home. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of things that are mixed into that. And so, I don't know that I have a great example of like what part of that was COVID and what wasn't. Uh, I know that what it forced me and the, uh, the other folks I was working with in our industry to do is to embrace a much more virtual approach to work, right? Both in the way that we help clients directly and in helping our clients, you know, businesses, uh, nonprofits and how they can approach it as well. And and that continues to be a huge challenge, right? Uh, when you're looking at hybrid work Environments, uh, no one has that quite figured out yet, and and so there's just an added level of uncertainty that's come with it. I, I think you know, the last little bit to answer what was a relatively simple question is, I think the uncertainty that showed up in the you know in co- the COVID pandemic and after, uh, I think it it really woke me up to how little I actually control. Right, And how much I have to approach my work and my world with open hands. Uh, You try and hang on to it too tightly and it just gets taken away.
0: So as a scale architect, let's boil this down to its pieces. I'm going to put you in front of a bunch of grade school kids, third graders. One of them looks up and says, hey, what do you do for a living? How do you answer them?
1: Yeah. So what do I do? I, I had the ability to do this because I've got two young boys uh, that have kind of been growing up in this context. And so they asked me questions a lot. Uh, one of them, he's now 12, and I think he could teach most of this better than I could at this point. But what do we do? We help organizations to, uh, to grow effectively and efficiently. So what happens is the more you grow, the more complex you get. And if you don't deal with the complexity, it gets harder and harder to do what you do on a daily basis. And so fundamentally, at the root of everything that we do, we help leaders to overcome complexity inside of their organization.
0: So let's go back to when you were in the third grade. What was your dream growing up?
1: What was my dream? So it's kind of funny. Uh, my dream was actually to be an architect. I really? didn't realize that I would be architecting organizations and doing organizational design. I thought it would be buildings, uh, but I loved like Frank Lloyd Wright and, uh, you know, that whole genre of like just really interesting and intriguing architecture. I, I was a, a little bit of a nerd and I would actually draw schematics uh, as as like a, a hobby and thing to do, especially on like long road trips. So, Yeah
0: what's been the structure in the in the world and your travels that you saw that you literally it blew your mind from an architectural standpoint
1: so I mean falling water has to be one of them uh it's a house that Frank, Frank Lloyd built Frank Lloyd Wright built for was it like the Kaufmans, or I can't even remember who it was for, uh, yeah. but it was real close to where I grew up in Pittsburgh. So I had a chance in I think fifth or sixth grade to actually go and walk around it. And there's a there's a, a like a river or a stream that actually flows through the house and comes out of the bottom of the house as a waterfall. Uh, it's just like to do that in a house is stunning. So. Uh, that's got to rank as, as one of the top ones. Um, I'm a big fan of the real tall buildings too. You know, there's always the, the next tallest one, but, uh, I've always been fascinated by that.
0: I remember going to New York for the first time and being out there in broad daylight and it was dark on streets like that. Cause coming from Kansas city where there's not that concrete urban landscape, that's that dense. I was like, wow, what is this? It's crazy.
1: You know? Yeah, it's it's intense. It's as much as I like architecture, like I need a little bit of sky. You know what I mean? <laughs> <Right>. I, I,
0: <laughs> yeah, that's I'm that's, not
1: quite at home in the urban jungle.
0: Yeah, that's that's New York though. Everything's just kind of just squeezed in together. Um so let's go back to your childhood. Are you originally from Atlanta? No, I'm a bit of
1: everything. So uh, depending on how you answer that question, I was born in California. I grew up around the Pittsburgh area. I actually went to school in your neck of the woods in Grandview, Missouri uh, at a ministry school there. And uh, then ultimately ended up moving here to Atlanta in 06. Uh, So I've lived here longer than anywhere else.
0: Yeah. I'm a technician in the Grandview School District. Yeah. Fascinating. I'm right here. So Talk to me a little bit about some of the seeds that were planted in you early on that have made you who you are, your love of architecture, you know, travel. I mean, you've you've moved around. What what are the things that were planted in you early on that have grown into who you are today?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think uh, a lot of it is. I, I I tend to call myself an accidental entrepreneur. You know, I, I work with lots of entrepreneurs. Many of them, the kind of stereoty- stereotypical, like selling candy on the playground. Uh, I, I, and I didn't. I, it took me a really long time to realize it, but you know, kind of knit in all of it was just a love of business. Um, and and I, I would never have had the language to ar- articulate that as a kid, but. Uh, for example, uh, I had an opportunity in school to just do a project. Anything you want to do, you know, tell us what it is for a, a program. And I chose to follow stocks, and uh, I knew nothing about it. Uh, I picked three losers, so I'm still no good at it. But there's always kind of a fascination with business in general, right? I, I love the practicality of it. I love the organizational. You know, how do we get all these things moving together? Uh, the other part of it was, um, just that kind of entrepreneurial, like creating something from nothing. My dad was an entrepreneur when I was young, he started his own business. I got to see that, you know, the joys and the pains of that firsthand. And, uh, and so that was a, a big component of it as well. And so, you know, kind of where that's coalesced for me and just making a very long story short is, um, Uh, uh, Let me rewind for a second. So I actually ended up going to ministry school, like I mentioned. I did two years at a program there in Kansas City moved to Atlanta to work with a ministry. And uh, part of that uh, structure of that organization is you raise your own support or you fund yourself, basically. So it was not a paid position. It was a full-time volunteer position, basically. And uh, much like a missionary overseas, we were doing that here in Atlanta. And so I you know, didn't want to ask people for money. I didn't think that was you know m- what I was supposed to do. And so I went and got a part-time job and uh, happened to do it with a gentleman who was from the same church. And um, and it wasn't until then that I, I rediscovered my love for business. Uh, I, I remember I read a book. Uh, it was Rich Dad Poor Dad um, by guy was it Kiyosaki or I, I can't remember his last name. Um, but I remember reading through that. In one point, he talks about you know, a, a bank account balance. It's like fifty three million dollars, and you're like this is one one bank account. And the money thing was fine, but what it did, and I've had a few of these experiences, but it made my world so much bigger than it was. You know, I grew up in rural Pennsylvania. It was hard to come up with, you know, enough money to pay the bills this year, you know, let alone have that much left over. And I just realized there's so much more to this world than you're just kind of struggling to get by. The other uh, instance of this was uh, actually the first time I went overseas, my wife is from Norway. And so the very first time I went over to meet her family and spend some time with them, uh, I remember it was the first time I'd been out of country to a non-third world country, basically. And uh, just seeing like, there's this whole different culture and it's working really well. And it's so different than how I would, you know, it just, it made my world so much bigger. And uh, I think it was it was through those things that I, I and I, I really wanted to bring all of that when I founded this company, uh, the the bigness of what's possible, right? Our world is so much more than the three foot world that we can touch, right? or or the parts of our world that were introduced. and uh, and so those have all had you know, it's, it's a knitting together of kind of all those those different things.
0: So who's been a hero for you in your life? Who's been a role model that's always fueled you to be who you are?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, there's a couple there's, there's so many, I, I think I've had uh, a, a luxury of great what I would call father figures and mentors, uh, starting with my own dad. You know, if I could be half the man that my dad is, I, I'd be pretty proud. So uh, I just you know, loved kind of being in his shadow as a kid, learning from him. We built a house together when I was young. Uh, it was a difficult process, probably one that I complained about a lot more than I should have, but I've just, I've learned so much from him and uh, I, I love him to pieces. Uh, and, and, you know, through my relationship with him, I got to get to know several of his friends really well who also kind of mentored me. I got early jobs that way from folks, and I just got to see men showing up in the real world, Uh, and and that was just a tremendous uh, tremendous thing for me. um, A few others, uh, one, my relationship with Jesus is very important, so I I don't want to gloss over that. It's just been a fundamental part of me and who I am, and uh, I find a lot of peace and strength in Scripture and and in Jesus. Um, And more recently... This, and this is a a point that I actually talk about a lot is when I was running the the company I started back in two thousand eight with my business partners called Start Church. We actually helped start churches all across the country, and we we kind of had this idea that. W- we were carving territory that no one had ever been be- done before and we had to figure it all out on our own right it was kind of like we 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 don't need all these other people or all this other advice like if we can't figure it out you know it can't be done or, or whatever it may be and so we kind of had this it was a little narcissistic to be honest but it was more like we just got let's just figure this out let's figure our way and it felt like every day we were kind of walking off the face of the map kind of looking around drawing what we saw and going to the next one and there's an excitement to that uh, until you get lost, right? And, and we reached this point where, uh, you know, we we just didn't know the next step. We we had tried every next step that we could think of, and it's a successful business. It was wonderful, but like it was getting harder and harder and harder and harder. And I mean, it was showing up in our bottom line. It was showing up in our relationships. It was showing up in our employee uh, relations and, and engagement. And and when you have this idea that it's like it's it, you're on your own, you've got to figure it out and you can't figure it out. That's one of the scariest places that I've been in my life, you know, it, because you just you kind of feel locked in. You, you feel lost. And uh, it was a, a, around that time that two uh, n- kind of new mentors in my life really came uh, into shape. One of them was a, a gentleman named Les McEwen. And he's now a business partner with me. He created the model that I use and help organizations with. It's called a predictable success model. But uh, that model, his work, his book—I uh, heard about him on a podcast like this, which is why I love doing these podcasts. But I, it literally changed my life. Uh, it, it—you know—in a nutshell, you know, from a business standpoint, we tripled our bottom line in a year. Uh, we went from losing profitability every single year to you know just outrageous profitability in a very very short period of time gave us so much clarity about what all these challenges were that we were having inside of our organization, gave me confidence back as a leader, you know, just through his book. I hadn't even met him at the time. Um, And ultimately, you know, it was a career decision. Like I I left that business to go help other people achieve that same thing through that same model. So he's been a huge role model for me. I've had the distinct privilege of getting to know him behind the scenes. And he's even more brilliant than he is in his books, which is a really cool thing because not everybody is that way. Uh, and then, the last, I know these have been long answers to your questions. Oh, I'm fine. sorry. Uh, but the 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 last one, uh, I, I can't go without saying is a gentleman named Robert Mallon. Who's really the one that I credit with breaking that myth of you know, "of I have to do it alone"? Uh, I I remember going to him and uh, I, I was a little mean to him at first. He was we were talking about whether or not I should join his coaching group, and I was a little harsh. Uh, I can't remember exact words that I say, but the 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 word he used to define me afterwards was intimidating, which uh, got a laugh out of both of us. But ultimately, he really kind of got through those layers for me and helped me to see you know, I, I don't have to figure this all out on my own, right? Like, and, and I don't have to live in that place of isolation and really frustration. And, uh, and has, he's just been a, a hugely instrumental uh, voice in my life for a long time now.
0: So what is it that fuels you every day? Every, every day you wake up, you have things that you want to do and get done. What is the ultimate motivator for you in life?
1: The biggest thing for me, like I, I love organizations. It's kind of a weird thing. So to, to explain this a little bit further, I got to go back to the predictable success model I talked about. There's different stages that organizations, any group of two or more, I actually did a podcast about this as a marriage. So it's this pattern of stages that every group of two or more goes through. And one of those stages in particular is called whitewater. And it's where y- you've had some success, things were going well, and, and then it starts to get really, really hard again. It starts to get really complicated again, and uh, and and it feels like you've lost your grip, right? It feels like you're out of your depth as a leader, uh, as uh, as an individual. It can be very disheartening, very disillusioning. It can feel like your organization is dying, your relationship is dying. It, it it just doesn't make sense because it feels like if we've done all the work to make a successful organization, why doesn't it keep getting more successful? And it's usually this issue of complexity, um, and and, and it, it's a little weird but that excites me more than just about anything. Like the idea of helping somebody recognize the role that all this complexity is having inside their organization, and then giving them the clarity of how to get out of it, right? It's not just, hey, uh, you're here. I'll help you understand where you are on the map. It's also saying, hey, and here's the step to get out. And so for me, what really lights me up is is the the fact that I get to help either organizations or the people that help organizations. I train other coaches, but help them to create this just fundamental change inside of an organization that benefits everybody, benefits the founder and owner because they have a more profitable business, benefits the leadership team because they can work together uh, without the you know the painful conflict that uh, you have in whitewater. and and quite honestly, it makes a massive difference for every employee in the organization because to be part of a well run you know efficient effective organization is there's so much more joy in that than one that's fighting with itself and not aligned and frustrated I've been in both, right? I know the feeling of both and the ability to help uh, people achieve that predictable success, not just for profit or whatever that is, but for the joy of leading and being in an organization that's in that stage. That's what keeps me going.
0: So what are you the proudest of of all the things that you've done between education and business and, and geography? What is it that you're the proudest of?
1: I mean, I have to be proudest of my kids. Like, I don't know how much credit I can take for that. But it's like, I have three amazing, amazing kids. We have two biological children, Benjamin and Liam, and we have an adopted, uh, our third child was adopted, Isabel. And uh, watching them at each of their stages, there's about 10 years between them, but watching them kind of, you know, stepping up into a new little version of themselves, it's just, it floors me every single time i mean it really does and it's intimidating it's a little scary you know like these are real humans and what am i doing but um you know those little moments i remember one time uh, my son benjamin was on a sports team he was really struggling with it had a couple of kids on the team that were they were not friends we'll put it that way but they're on the same team and he he just he didn't want to go to the games it was just a real testing character for him and uh, at one of these games they were losing pretty badly and right before the half, um, the uh, the other team took a shot. It was lacrosse, so the other team took a shot. This big hard rubber ball and just totally hit the goalie. I mean, he was down, hurt, and I think they were losing like thirteen to nothing or something like. That. It was really bad. And Benjamin was on the sideline at the time. Everyone else came off the field because it was halftime, and Benjamin ran across the field to go be with his teammate that was hurt. Like that right there, yeah, uh, you know, I, you I. I can't come up with anything better. Like that, that is by far and away one of my proudest moments.
0: Yeah, that's the essence. So let me ask you this. If you had a dream tonight, you ran into the 20-year-old version of yourself. And based on the wisdom you've gained in your life, what advice would you give your younger version?
1: It's got to be alone takes a long time. You know,
0: I I, I experienced
1: a lot in a, a relatively compressed um uh, relatively compressed career right i've helped start 20,000 organizations and i've just had an opportunity to do a lot of stuff and and it, you know for some people it's like man you had all of that you you've mo- been moving at the speed of light you know it's kind of what it looks like from the outside from the inside i've always had this torment of like it's got to be faster it's got to be faster my young dumb self you know but uh, looking back to being 20 I, I think it would be that it would be to surround myself with more peers and mentors and and folks who uh, d- haven't necessarily been down that road before because no one's been down the exact same road, but who can walk that road with me. I undervalued that for a very long time.
0: So everyone in your life has a perception of you, whether it's your family, your friends, clients, colleagues, all these people in your world, but you're in control. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are?
1: What's my perception of me? Uh, I am someone, especially if you kind of match it up against the perception that other uh, people have, I'm someone who cares a lot more than I let on. Uh, I, I'm a lot more committed to the success of the people around me than uh, than I have the uh, ability to articulate clearly. So I would say that's one of the areas where it doesn't resonate as much. Another one, and I would say I'm a, a more proud of this, and this goes back to your original question around COVID actually, um, I had taken some time and my wife and I had gone through and kind of listed out our values (laughs) to this day. I still couldn't tell you what they are, but that's part of the story. Uh, And I remember going through that exercise before COVID happened, Uh, COVID happened, business career change, just a lot of change in my life. And uh, I came back to that list of values and I was a little like ashamed, embarrassed of like, I, I just had a list of values. I couldn't tell you what they are. And again, it's kind of still true now, but... I was really, really proud when I looked back over the big decisions I had made over the previous six months or a year and saw that they did align with those things that I said I valued. And, uh, and that was something that was really encouraging to me. And I don't know that I would have had the, the guts to kind of say that in an environment like this, except that just to be able to see, you know, hey, those are values and I did stick to those values, I think is a testimony and a testament to really how I try to orient my life.
0: So as someone that's kind of bounced around the country, have you gotten really comfortable with boiled peanuts? I hate boiled peanuts. Isn't that weird? Oh,
1: they're so gross. There's like cardboard.
0: Uh, no, I can't do it at all. I, I came from Florida back to Kansas City years ago, and somebody had said something about it. Or maybe I saw it in a convenience store. I'm like, what's going on here? Because when you come from the Midwest, if you get peanuts wet, no one wants them. You go down south, it's a delicacy. (laughs) Bold. We
1: call them bold. It's not boiled. It's bold. Bold
0: peanuts. (laughs) (laughs) I had to know. I just did. So if anyone out there wants to know more about you, anything pertaining to your business, your life, where can they go?
1: Yeah, scalearchitects.com is the best place to do it. Uh, it is jam-packed with free resources. We've got, you know, ebooks and assessments and articles and the podcast, uh, Secret to the High Demand Coach. It's all there. Uh, it's the best place to start. If you want to look for me, uh this this is another one of those slightly more complicated questions. I'm a junior. I'm Scott Ritzheimer Jr. So if you look up Scott Ritzheimer on social media, you might find my dad. You might find me. Look for the one who looks like he's you know about 21, and uh you you'll probably find find me. Uh, Let's let's put it that way.
0: Right on. Well, hey, stay away from those peanuts. Just stick with the dry salted (laughs) kind. (laughs) Hey, Scott, this has been great, man. Thank you for opening up. Thank you for your story. Best of luck with everything. All right, Joe. Thanks so much. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, where we cover the world of art, literature, business, spirituality, music, and more from around the globe want to hear more interviews visit the famous interviews with joe domino channel on youtube you can also find us on spotify and apple podcasts thanks again for listening and until next time